You're listening to the Jesus Culture Sacramento Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching from our guest speaker. For more information on our church, visit jcsacramento.com. So yeah, I'm really excited as we're, we're closing out this series. And um, you know, we've, we've really touched on all of these markers and attributes of a disciple in our life. Uh, what it looks like to be generous, what it looks like to root your identity in Jesus, what it looks like to be a person of prayer, kingdom-minded, what it looks like to be in community and connection. God bless you. Right? What it looks like to do all of these different things is that we, these markers and attributes of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Not just someone who learns from Jesus, but we learn from Jesus so that we can live like Jesus. That's been the whole idea of this, of this summer is how do we raise the water level in our own discipleship journey of becoming more like Jesus as we, as we follow him and as we pursue him. And so today, what I want to talk to you about as we conclude this series is, you know, I was just really praying and thinking on it. And I really felt like the Lord was um, kind of bringing up and stirring up this idea of an abiding lifestyle, like the importance of an abiding life. Because here's the reality is that we, we see all these things. We learn about all of these different areas that God wants us to grow in, uh, generosity, evangelism, right? Sharing faith with our neighbors, all of these different things. But if there's one thing that Jesus is really clear on is that we can't do any of that stuff really, apart from him. And so today, what we want to talk about is what does it really look like to abide uh, in Christ? And I just want to talk to you about how an abiding life is an abundant life. How many of you can just get excited about an abundant life, right? And, And abundant life doesn't always mean the bigger house and car. I think God will bless you with stuff. But at the same time, the real abundance we're going after is the fruit of the Spirit, The real abundance we're going after is the righteous character of Jesus. The abundance that we're going after is to look way more like him than we do right now. Amen. So we're going to go after that. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15. Uh, How many of you have your Bibles in the house? Can I see your Bibles? Can you wave them at me? Look at, look at all the paper. Nice. I got a little glowing, no condemnation. Look at that glowing Bible. So good. You've got multiple translations. I do a little bit of both. I've got my paper Bible and my glowing Bible. I got backups on backups here. So John chapter 15, this is Jesus speaking right before he goes to the cross. He's having a conversation with his disciples, with his inner crew. And uh, he says this to them. He says, I am the true grapevine. We're going to read 12 verses, by the way. Y'all good with that? We're going to do it anyway. Okay, here we go. I am the true grapevine. The father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message that I have given you. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you abide in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not abide in me is thrown away like a useless branch that withers, and such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned, But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you may ask anything that you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Everybody say true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. I've loved you even as the father has loved me. So abide in my love. When you obey my commandments, you abide in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and abide in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. 
Amen. I love this passage of scripture. I love this moment, this insight that we have to a conversation with Jesus and his inner crew, the people that have followed him for three years, uh, who are going to turn the world upside down after Jesus is raised from the dead and fills them with their spirit. And I love that he gives them this insight, this message. And if you look at this passage, there's really two very clear things that we're going to see. Jesus sounds like a little bit like a broken record. He uses the word abide 11 times right? Talk about like repeating yourself again and again and again. And whenever you look in scripture and you see repetition, it's because the writer, right? Who in this case is Jesus, right? Is trying to get something across to you. He's trying to help you understand that this is of the utmost importance that before you move on, you have to understand that this is priority. And so the first thing we see here is that Jesus, he really calls all of us in this room that if we say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, that each of us are called to produce a lot of fruit. Like you can't get around reading this passage and be like, I'm not really sure what Jesus's will is for my life. Here's his will for you. Produce fruit, lots of fruit and fruit that remains. Like for the rest of your life that you would be a producing follower of Jesus. And he says that if you're producing fruit, then you're a true disciple, meaning that there are disciples who are not true. There are some people, right, because there's no category in scripture for discipleship where you can believe in Jesus, but then not follow him. The Bible would say that doesn't, that's not an actual disciple. That's not a genuine faith. So he calls you and I, he says, okay, if you're going to be a follower, you need to be productive, right? There's going to be this idea of producing all the things we talked about this summer of generosity and giving and evangelism and identity and community and all the stuff of prayer. He's saying, if you're going to do all that stuff, this is what I'm going after as a true disciple. The second thing is this, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I don't know if that encourages you or discourages you, right? Like, like Jesus says, I want you to do all this. And here's the reality. You can't do any of it disconnected from a consistent, deep, and meaningful fellowship with me. He's saying, I'm not just your savior. I'm also your sustainer. And so as we move into this today, what I just want to talk to you about is how an abiding life is an abundant life life. So, so Father, in Jesus' name, we just, we just invite you into this room. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking, oh, Lord, that in my weakness, you would be strong. Lord, that you would take these words, that you would take this moment, and, uh, and Lord, that you would use it to shape us in some way for your glory and for the good of each of us in this room. God, I, I ask, Holy Spirit, you would take the words and pierce our hearts. Uh, Lord, that you would shape us and transform us, that you would encourage us and inspire us, that you would some way uh, move us closer to, to what you look like and how you live. Lord, that we would look differently walking out of these doors than how we walk in. And Lord, that you would encourage us where we need encouraging and that you would remind us of what life is really about as we follow after you. And I just pray name by name and person by person that Holy Spirit, you see every situation here. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would take this and that you would use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, a couple summers ago, I, I went out uh, on the lake because that's what I enjoy doing. I love when it's really hot. Um, I've been living in Oklahoma for about 14 years, and in Oklahoma, we get out on the lake because it's incredibly hot, right? How many of you are lake people? You like to get on a lake a little bit? How many of you are going to skip church for it next week? Okay, all right. That was one hand. I got you. Thank you for that. And uh, no condemnation. We love you. Enjoy the lake for us. And, um, and so, but I love the lake, right? And in, in Oklahoma, it gets incredibly hot, so triple-digit heat, um, and then like 90% humidity, right? So, it's, it's, I loathe it. I like, it's, it's a really difficult place in my life in the summer when Oklahoma. So, um, 
But praise God, we get out on the lake and it helps, right? So we go out, we have some fun in the sun. So me and some friends, about 12 of us, family members, friends, we get out on the lake and it's like a whole day thing. We get out a little vacation house for the weekend and we're having a great time. So we get our little boat, we get out there, you know, we're water tubing and wakeboarding and swimming and just having an amazing, amazing day. Uh, and it gets even better. We, we find this marina, right? We find this marina. We go to have lunch and one of us finds there is a wiffle ball field, like diamond, in the back of this marina, right? How many of you played wiffle ball before? It's baseball. Thank you. It is so good. It's so good, right? And so we're super competitive. I'm too competitive. I'm like, Jesus is working on me, but I love to compete. And so I was like, listen, off the boat, finish, drop your lunch. We're going to play wiffle ball. So we just started splitting people up. It's six V six. We get out there. Now, little did we know there's actually a wiffle ball world series. Did you know that? Now you know. And, uh, and it's held at this marina in Skyatook, Oklahoma, right? Which says a lot about wiffle ball. And, and so we get out there. We're having a great time though, right? And we get out there and we start playing and we're hitting and we're pitching and we're throwing, we're running. And we are out there for three hours in triple digit heat, high humidity. And I am so competitive that like, I was like, we are not leaving this field until I win. And listen, the other team continued to win. They're cheaters, but they won, right? All right. And so did they really win? I don't know. And, uh, and so three hours, right? We finally win. And then, uh, and then it ends in two teammates tackling each other and having a moment. And uh, it was a really, if, I loved it. It was so fun, right? So then we're like, all right, let's jump back on the boat. Let's have a great day. So we get on the boat, right? For everybody's friends again. And uh, we go, we finish the day kind of like same stuff, swimming, all that kind of stuff, right? So so we're going back in for dinner. It's dinner time. And so getting on the boat and we go, okay, let's get back to the house. And on our way back to the house, I'm sitting in my seat and I look, I look across the boat and into the next seat where my wife is sitting. And all of a sudden my vision starts to go blurry. I start seeing spots. Now my, my wife is beautiful, right? But she like blindingly beautiful, but I was like, this is not what's happening, right? So I'm like, I'm like looking at her. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't, what is happening? I get the craziest symptoms started to happen to me in this moment. I can't see anything. I'm seeing spots. The next thing I know, my hands begin to go numb. Like I start tingling and they're going numb. I'm like, why are my hands not working? What's going on? And the next thing I know, I'm nauseous, right? And I start getting sick and I'm like, I'm, so the panic is setting in. I'm like, I don't know what's going on with me right now, but this is not okay. Like I didn't take a loss that bad. Like this is, oh, what is happening, right? And the next thing I know, I can't form sentences. So I can't put words together. All of a sudden I'm delusional and I'm, I can't remember the names of my best friends who I've, I've done life with for the last 12 years of my life. I'm looking at them stunned, like who? I, I know I know you, but I can't remember your name. All right, so praise God, I remember my wife's name though. That got me some points. And so, and so I'm like, Natalie, like just get me inside. I don't know what's going on. Like something is wrong with me. So they get me in. And apparently, it turns out, I was severely dehydrated, right? I had too much fun in the sun, right? And so, and so they get me there. They lay me down. All of a sudden, this EMT guy shows up, right? They put an IV in my arm. Literally, I'm delusional. And this is what they told me is that you're, they're like, Mark, you were sitting there talking to them about how the other team cheated and beat you in wiffle ball, right? I'm, I'm like, this is it. I'm going to lose my, I'm, I'm like stepping into eternity. And all I can think about is losing in wiffle ball. And I'm like, there plugged up, you know, I'm getting hydrated back to health. It was a, it was a really weird day for me, right? So here's what he says. He says, listen, hey, 
you, you, you got to hydrate, bro. Like you got to rehydrate. You got to get yourself back to a place that's healthy. He's like, so I'm going to give you this IV. And then you're going to sit up in that room in this vacation rental for the next two days. And you're just going to like sip water in a dark room. We'll give you some liquid IV, some electrolytes. And uh, you're just going to listen to all your best friends have fun downstairs. And you're just going to sit upstairs and uh, enjoy your life while you rehydrate and, um, and get healthy again. And so it was like the worst couple days ever. And uh, praise God, I made it. Um, but here's the reason, right? All of this happened, right? Because of one reason. I disconnected myself from a source in life that I need called water, right? I know that's like, wow, right? I I disconnected myself from the source that I need called water. And here's the reality is that it was only a matter of time before I disconnected myself that I was gonna be under-resourced, undernourished, and depleted of what I need to be healthy and producing as a person, right? And this is kind of a silly kind of illustration breakdown for us, but here's what I'm saying, is that it's the same for us spiritually, right? If that you live disconnected spiritually, then you live depleted spiritually. A spiritually disconnected life leads to a spiritually depleted life. Right? And I, I'm just, I, I see this right, happen in a lot of our lives, is that we find ourselves in this place. And so Jesus steps up and he says, listen, if you're going to be fruitful, if you're going to produce, if you're going to do the things that I've laid out for you, if you're going to follow me well and actually look like me, then you have to be a person who abides. Now, abide is kind of like an old school word sometimes, you know, like no one's just like, hey, where do you abide? El Dorado Hills or, you know, like, no, like people don't really say that, right? Like I abide in Folsom. No, no, no one says that really, right? So this idea of abiding is the idea of remaining. It's the idea of dwelling. He's saying that you're going to set your home up in Christ and that you don't leave that place that you don't forget that place, that you don't neglect that place, that this is to be treated as your home. And so Jesus says, I want you to come and I want you to, I want you to bear fruit. I want you to look like me. I want you to abide and remain. But many times what happens is we find ourselves spiritually disconnected and then we're spiritually depleted. So we have a hard time actually producing the fruit that Jesus is asking of us in life. I think that this is the enemy strategy against you and I. The Bible's really clear. Paul says in Corinthians that we should not be unaware of the strategies, that he has schemes. Did you know right now, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but there is a spiritual enemy who every single day is thinking about planning, strategizing how to take you out, how to keep you depleted and, and to keep you from producing to look like Jesus. That's the reality today. And so the enemy, what happens is if you really look at history and you look at strategy of wartime or the art of war, what you find is is that there are these moments where one nation goes to war against another and and a brilliant strategy is to cut off the supply line that they need in order to be effective in battle. So one nation will go to war with another nation. They will cut off the supply line of their ammunition, of their food, of their water, of their medicine, like all of the things that they need to be healthy and thriving, strong and flourishing. The enemy comes and says, if I can cut that off and if I can disconnect you, I can deplete you. And if I can deplete you, I can defeat you. So the enemy, he comes into our life and he lies to you and he deceives and he distracts and he condemns and he accuses, right? He's the father of lies and he comes and he attacks us and his goal is to disconnect you from the very source that you need in Jesus and fellowship with him. So if I were your enemy, 
and I wanted to deplete you, this is what I would do. I would come in and try to cut you off from your strength, from your hope, from your peace, from your joy. There is an enemy. We live this life in spiritual adversity with an enemy. And so I just want to pull the curtain back on, on Satan for a moment and just say, like, we recognize that he does this. And for some of you, you find yourself spiritually apathetic. You find yourself where you're like, man, I just feel numb towards the things of God. I just, I remember what it was like to want to be led by the spirit, to be hungry and to be thirsty for his presence. Like I remember what it was like to step out in passion for Jesus. I remember these things, but for some reason I've been, I've become apathetic. I've been, I've been numb. I've, I've lost the value system of the kingdom. What happened to me? Some of you have conversations with your spouse and you say, man, like I'm just not the man I used to be. I'm not the woman that I used to be. And I don't know what's going on. And I just want to tell you, I think if we could pull the curtain back for a moment is that what happens to us is for one reason or another that the strategy of the enemy works and we get disconnected from our source of life. And so we stop producing for the kingdom. So we find ourselves in this place. And not only does the enemy come, Sometimes we do it to ourselves. If we could just, can we just be honest? Like, like sometimes we just do it to ourselves. It's the Apostle Paul. He wrote to um, the Galatians and he was like, hey, y'all, like you, you got saved when you came to Jesus and you were like, yes, great, we're saved. And then all of a sudden you were like, hey, Jesus, we'll take it from here. Yeah. Like we, we, could, we know how to do this thing. We're, 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 we're perfect and we are experts at being morally good, at behaving right, at keeping some laws. We know how to produce the fruit, right? We know how to do this. Right? And so sometimes what we do is we, we kind of take it on ourselves and we become a little bit like this rose. Here comes the illustration, y'all. Are you ready? Okay, there it is. All right, come on, Becky Johnson. All right, and so, <laughs> all right, praise God. Sometimes we can be a little bit like this rose, right? And, and as Christians, what happens is we could be like, man, we know how to talk the talk, right? We're blessed and highly favored. God is good all the time, all the time. Come on, you know, right? You know how to do it. You know how to speak it. And it's not that you don't believe it, right? But, but man, we find ourselves knowing how to talk like Christians. We know the Christianese. We know the right environments to get around, all important, right? We know about community. We know how to look the right part, right? We find ourselves in that place. But in reality, can actually be disconnected. This rose right now is gorgeous, but it's dying. It, is, it smells beautiful, but it's withering. This rose will never produce beyond this moment right now for one reason. It's disconnected. And this is sometimes how we live our life and we're trying to figure out why do, why do I feel like my soul is withering? Why do I feel like my relationships are dying and withering? Why do I feel like I can't get stoked and excited about the things of God anymore? Why do I find myself in this place? It's because we know the part, we look the part, we smell the part, but we don't abide. And it has everything to do with our own efforts and our own strength. And here's what Paul said to the Galatians. He said, do you realize you are cutting yourself off from Jesus? You are cutting yourself off from grace. Grace isn't just the ability to be saved. Grace is the empowerment of the spirit. And he says, the moment that you take this thing into your own hands, you become like this rose. And the next thing you know, you, you run into a storm and it breaks you because you were disconnected the whole time. Did you know in the last 30 years, 40 million people have left the church? Wow. 40 million people. And I, I firmly believe, my, I, my conviction is this, is because we're a people who have lost the, the lifestyle of abiding in Jesus. 
and we've gotten offended and we've gotten burned out and all these different things because we've tried to do it on our own and we've stopped connecting to the vine. And Jesus says, he is the vine. So this right here, as beautiful as it is, this is God's will for your life. He's saying to abide in me, to remain in me, to dwell in me, to not disconnect yourself from me, but to humbly and consistently come and connect to your heavenly father and to connect through the spirit to Jesus and allow him to cause you to produce. And he says in the same way that this root system allows branches to produce fruit, so Jesus is, is the root system that allows the disciple to produce godliness in their life. And so the moment that we disconnect, the moment that we forget that this is the, the, the abiding life of the Christian, the moment that happens is the moment we stop producing for real. So he calls us to this, right? And so here's the reality too, is because this thing is abiding, because this is planted, because these branches and these flowers, right, are, are connected to the vine, this thing can lose flowers all day, but guess what's going to happen? It's going to reproduce and it's going to reproduce. And it's go through droughts. And Jesus says, this is why you need to be a person planted like, like by the water. Because it doesn't need external circumstances. It doesn't need external rain. When you're planted by the river of living water, you can produce it every single season. And he's saying that's available to you in Jesus. Right? Does that illustration just change your life? Is anyone falling out in the spirit right now? Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Tell Becky. Okay. I just, I just, I just want to like help you, right, and see this. And I want you to think about this. And I've prayed, Holy Spirit, use it. Like, welcome the game changers. I know, but, but I know, but I know. But I'm telling you, like, like this sometimes is how you feel right now. Sometimes this is your, this is your experience, right? And so I'm, I'm calling you to this place where I feel Jesus calls us to. You know what's crazy too is you think about John when Jesus says this. If you look in the Old Testament, the, the Israelites, the Jews, were always talked about as the vine of God. They were talked about like, this is the vine that I've placed in the earth so that I could, for my splendor, my glory to reflect me in the earth. But here was the interesting thing. It was always used in a negative connotation, right? When Jeremiah or Isaiah or somebody would come and say, you're supposed to be the vine of God, but you're not producing the fruit that he calls you to. And so it's been this negative, like frustrating idea that the, that the Jews as the vine of God were not producing what God had already asked of them. So when Jesus shows up, here's what he's trying to tell them. Hey, y'all, this had nothing to do with your effort. This had nothing to do with your ability to produce the fruit that God was looking for. What I was trying to show you is that you are the vine that will, that will bring the true vine, Jesus, someday, and he will produce the fruit. He will be the vine. He will be the root system and you will be a branch. You thought you were the root system. You are not the root system. This is not, be, this is not produced from your willpower, from your own internal strength, from your own self-help books that you read. This is not coming from that place. It's coming from the place of abiding. Amen? Right? And so we don't want to live in, spir we don't want to live in spiritual scarcity, but spiritual abundance. And so an abiding life, it is that abundant life. So there's two things. Um, there's two things that we see that Jesus really goes after here. When he talks about an abiding life, he says, abide in the word. Everybody say word. word. And he says, abide in love. Everybody say love. love. He says, I want you to abide in the word. I want you to abide in love. So in John chapter eight and verse 31, he says, so Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, if you hold fast to my teachings, and if you live in accordance with them, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because Becky did a phenomenal job preaching on this last week of just the power of truth in our life and bringing freedom. 
I just want to touch on a few things, though, because here's what we see, right? Well, number one, as he says that there's an abundance of freedom that comes to us when we root ourselves in the truth. I think that one of the, one of the biggest things that all of us pray for in this room, whether I've met you or not, I think what's true of many of us is that we're constantly praying for freedom in areas of our life. God, just free me from, from lack, free me from shame, free me from this addiction, free me from this area of my life, free me. Like there's, there's this, this deep desire for freedom and he has set you free, but he says, I want you to access it by now abiding and living in truth. And notice that he doesn't say that the word of God is true. He says the word of God is truth, meaning this is the standard by which we measure whether or not something is true or false. So he says, so a thought comes to us or something comes into our life and he says, how do we know that's true? Does it measure up to the truth of God's word? Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Does it measure up? So this is the truth. And he says, if you will become an expert in truth, you will reap the benefit of freedom and, and to produce spiritually in your life. Wow, isn't that beautiful? Like that's an awesome promise is that you and I can produce spiritually because we are free from lies. You know, they say when, when they train bankers, or when they train bankers um, when they go into their field is that they want to train them to tell the difference between counterfeit money and genuine money, right? So people get a little squirrely out there and they try to make some counterfeit money. They try to come, right? And, uh, and here's what I love. Like their, their training process, I think, is really telling. And I think it's what Jesus is encouraging us with this morning is that is that when they, they train these bankers, they say, I want you to take this. And what they don't say is, hey, here are the last 25 counterfeit bills, $100 bills that we've seen. I want you to go through each of these bills and kind of study what was wrong about them, what was false about it, where did it look true and where is it false? It's not what they do. They sit you down and they give you a $100 bill from, the, from our mint and our treasury, right? Wherever it comes from, one of those places, right? And they say, okay, this is a genuine United States $100 bill. Sit down and study this thing. Become an expert. Feel this thing, right? They say, put it, put it in your hands because it has a certain feel to it. Look into it. Look at it. Show it up to the light. Become so familiar with this $100 bill that you will immediately know when a counterfeit comes across the table to you. That I am so familiar with, with what is true. I'm so familiar with what is right that when a counterfeit shows up, by the way, and counterfeits that show up always look like truth. They always sound like truth, don't they? When the enemy comes in to lie to you, to accuse you, to condemn you, to deceive you, he doesn't usually come in with these like off the wall ideas. He comes in and he tries to make it as close to the truth as he can so he can deceive you in it. That's why Ephesians 4 says that you would grow up into maturity so that you would be able to recognize and not be tossed around by things that sound true or not, but are not true. So here's what he calls us to is that we want to be so, we want to be such experts in truth that we are free from the lies of the enemy because he will lie to you. You know what also will lie to you is your flesh and your feelings, right? Like, man, if your friends lied to you the way your feelings do, you would have, you would have cut that thing off a long time ago, right? But your feelings, they will lie to you. Like holding a grudge feels right, doesn't it? it just, it's just like, oh, it feels like I should do this, but I'm telling you, it will rob you of abundance, right? Like immorality, it feels right in a moment to the flesh, but it will rob you from a, from a beautiful family. Like greed and holding on to our possessions and our stuff, whatever, just kind of just feels right because we're building and we're growing and comforts and stuff and accumulating. It just feels like it's the right thing to do, but it will rob you of eternal impact. 
And so what Jesus is saying is that, is that we, we can buy these lies and live out of lies and not even realize it. And, and we're not reaping and we're not producing the type of fruit he calls us to because we're trapped in a lie. So when you become an expert in truth, it starts to expose those areas in your life. I remember when God called me to move here from Oklahoma to California, and I was like, he, he made it real clear. I mean, prophetic words, dreams, all types of stuff. And I was like, God, no one's moving to California. <laughs> I was like, I was like I'm, I'm meeting quite a few of them coming this way, right? And I'm like, they're, they're loving the real estate and all that stuff. And I'm like, Lord, like, are you sure? This is the direction. And I felt God confirm it again and again and again. I was like, okay, all right, I'll go. But here's what I felt God say is go without knowing what's next. And I was like, Lord, you know me. We don't do that. <laughs> That's not how we work, right? Um, I, I like my ducks in a row. I'm going to figure this thing out. Let me get a job offer somewhere. We'll figure this thing out. And I was in my head, right? Like I was in this whole process. And, and I, I went to one of my mentors and I said, hey, I feel like God's saying this. And, and man, it's there. And I just, what do I do with this, right? And, uh, and, I, was, and I said, the biggest thing that I'm freaking out about is provision, as I, I really sense in my time with the Lord, he's calling me to take this step with my family and I'm scared. I said, oh, I'm just so nervous. I just, I feel like, man, like what if, what if God doesn't show up in some way? And I said, I know it sounds silly, but deep inside, I just have this fear that God's not gonna provide for us. And, and I guess I didn't even realize this, but for years I was trying to just, I just took control of my own destiny in a sense, or I tried to, I thought I did. And I was sitting there trying to like make my own money and do my own things. And all the whole time I'm preaching, God is good and he's providing for us. But then God tested it. <laughs> oh, he'll do it, right? Don't you love it when he does it? And you're like, and he says, okay, now I want you to drop your comfort, drop your security, drop your community. And I want you to go. And I want you to trust that I'm ahead of you. And I was like, well, I don't. <laughs> so I was like, well, I don't. I was like, I need you to help me. So I sat down with a mentor and, and my mentor said, uh, one of my mentors, he said, hey, Mark, he goes, it seems to me you're deficient in an area in your relationship with God. It seems to me that you've bought the lie that God is not truly gonna take care of you. And I think that God wants to mature you. And I was like, it sounds like that way. It is happening that way. Yes. <laughs> and he said, here's what you need to do. He said, you're trapped in a lie, Mark. And he said, you need to take the word of God. And he said, listen, and he said, don't speed through this because speed is the enemy of depth. He says, and I want you to sit down and I want you to meditate. There's a word for you. Meditate, ruminate, chew on, sit with truth. And I remember I went to 1 Peter 5, 7. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares and worries on God, your anxieties, because he cares for you. And I remember I could have been like, all right, 1 Peter 5, 7, that's what it is. And I could have kept moving on. And he said, no, 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 I want you to take the next week and sit on that scripture. So I remember pacing in my backyard and being like, give all your worries to God, all your anxieties to God, because he cares for you. you know, I remember sort of reciting it and trying to pray it out. And it's like, oh, but I'm struggling with it. And I'm just going to tell you, the more that I just, the more I meditated on that thing, the more I started looking it up in different language and different scriptures, and I start looking at it, like, give all your worries. It means to cast and throw as hard as you can all of your worries, all of your anxieties, all of these things that you were never made to hold as a child of God. I mean, it gave me this picture. I will never forget. I was in the backyard. I felt like God gave me this picture of my son, uh, who's almost six now. He's going to be six in a couple of weeks, uh, is that he always would love to bring in groceries with me right? My wife would get home, groceries in the trunk. All right, I'm going to go out and get them. And my son, who's five at the time, three, four, five, would always be like, hey, dad, I'll help you. I'll help you. And he would always want to carry massive loads because, you know, I don't know if this is like you as a dude. I pride myself on one trip from the trunk to the, to the house. Anybody else? Thank you, Birdo. I see that. Yeah. It's like, I'm gonna, unless you do Instacart, right? You've given up. Okay. So I'm <laughs> just kidding. So no condemnation, right? 
And so, right, and so I, I, I get all the bags that I can, and my son tries to do the same thing. He tries to grab as many bags. And I just remember God gave me this picture, and I was like, and I would always tell my son, now, give me that. Give me those couple bags. You, it's going to hurt you. And I, re- I felt like God spoke to me, and he just gave me that picture of my son carrying all these grocery bags. And how as a father, I was like, hey, that's not good for you. Give me that. Cast that care on me. Cast that anxiety on me. You were never made to hold that much. You're not built for it. You know who is, though? I am. And so God says, you give me that worry. You give me that anxiety about your provision, about all that stuff. And he says, because I care. And care means, he says, I take an interest in. I'm actually concerned about it. I prefer to lean into that thing with you. That's what the word actually means, that he cares for it. He, he takes it to himself. And he says, I want that. And the more that I did it, the more that, man, this revelation of like, no, 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 God is going to provide. God is good. God is before me. And the more that I went in, it was like the truth of God's word was this like antidote. It was this like this moment of like, man, I was trapped in a lie. And the word of God, as I meditated on it, set me free from this lack of provision. So we stepped out. I remember closing the pod, moving out here, still driving out here through the States and thinking, okay, what am I doing? This is crazy. And, uh, you know, we get out here and man, I watched God miraculously for the next, for the last 17 months or whatever we've been here, God has moved miraculously. I mean, people were like, hey, we just feel like we're supposed to sow into your future. I don't know what it is. I'm like, I don't know either. And he's like, hey, you can sow it. And people just started sowing into our family. I, I said, God, I really have a concern about my son. Like my son, like man, he's got these little friends and he's got this stuff. And I'm like, God, I'm concerned about him. But I cast that care on you because I can't handle it like you can. And you love my boy more than I love my boy. And so when we get out here and all of a sudden he has, he meets his little best friends and, he, and he's, he's flourishing in this community. All of the things that I was, that was weighing on me, this lie that I was believing that almost sabotaged and cut off something God was trying to do in my life, right? Is that truth came in. And because we were an expert in that moment of truth and let it, let it wash over me, the truth set me free. And it caused me to move forward. Some of you are in bondage to a lie right now. And you've got to recognize, Holy Spirit, where is that moment I'm living out of a lie? Where's that area of my life that I am stuck and I need freedom and I need truth? And you don't want to just speed over it. Meditate on it and let it land from your, from your head to your heart. And I'm telling you, it'll bring freedom in your life. Amen? Amen. Awesome. I said I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on that, and I did. Um, abide, uh, number two is abide in my love. And here's what I want to go after for the next just couple minutes, and we're going to dismiss, is abide in my love. To abide in truth, to abide in my word, and he says abide in my love. I, I love this because I believe what he's saying here is that this love, is, it's the result of intimacy. Is that what, what, he, what God deeply desires at the end of the day? Jesus did, didn't just come to forgive your sins, He forgave your sins so that you can live intimately with Him again. Right? Like the, the end goal is not you're forgiven, the end goal is connection. So, so I forgive you and I bring you close. And, and what He deeply desires is this, this idea of intimacy, right? And intimacy, uh, the circles could tell you if I'm wrong, I'm just gonna throw this out there that intimacy is the result, right, of pursuit and of honesty and commitment. If you don't have one of those three things in a relationship, you will lack intimacy with that person. There has to be, my heart is aimed at you. I'm honest with you and vulnerable with you that, that what you see is you see into me, I see into you that we share this honest relationship and then I'm committed to you. There is nobody else for me. My yes to you is a no to everybody else and I'm, I'm committed in this relationship. And in that place, it fosters intimacy and relationship. 
And so he calls us to this place. And so if we abide in love, number one is that, that intimacy requires pursuit. Yeah. Jeremiah 29, 13, I love this passage. He says, if you look, if you look for me wholeheartedly, yeah. if you go, oh God, I just want to know you. I want to seek you. I want to search for you. He says, you will find me. Amen. Let that sink in for a minute. The creator of the world, of the universe, of your life, what we see says, hey, if you just come looking for me, I promise you will find me. Right? I love that Banning says this because it's that God loves to be found. He loves to be found. He's a good father. When I was a kid, um, I was an expert hide-and-seek player. I just made that title up for myself. I was expert at hide-and-seek, right? We, like me, man, glory days, growing up in the 90s. I would just like, you know, we had no iPads, so what did we do? We played hide-and-seek. Anybody else? All right, not enough. Okay, so, yeah, so I play hide-and-seek, right? We get out there, 20, 25 kids. We just run the neighborhood playing hide-and-seek. And, uh, and again, I'm over-competitive, whatever, but it was, as a child, it was the same way. And I'm playing hide-and-seek, and I remember, it was like, if I hid and didn't want to be found, you were not going to find me. It was not going to happen. I was confident of that. One particular time, uh, I'll never forget Jimmy Wright. Everybody say Jimmy. Oh, bless Jimmy Wright. You're about to know why. Okay, so Jimmy Wright uh, is it, right? So he's seeking, he's trying to find, he's trying to tag people. And I'm hiding on the side porch of my house. And I've got three other friends with me and we're kind of hiding in this like incredible hiding spot, by the way. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I hear Jimmy Wright chasing my little sister down the street, right? He had found her in her hiding spot and he had a tagger. So he's chasing her down the street. And as Jimmy Wright is running with all of his might and all of his passion, trying to catch my little sister, my dog was tied up to a fence right next to where they were running. He's a, he was a boxer pit bull mix, and so he wasn't something to mess with, right? And uh, God rest his soul, right? And uh, he's tied up to the fence, and Jimmy Wright comes running by, and my dog like lunges out, boom, bites him on the side, pulls him to the ground like a good dog should, right? And so he protects, he protects my little sister, and, uh, and all of a sudden I hear him screaming, the dog bit me, the dog bit me. And he's saying some other colorful words and, you know, and, and he's like, I'm bleeding, there's blood, you know. And, and, the, and the guys that I'm hiding with, they're like, we should help him. I'm like, you sit down, you stay right where you are. You know, I'm like, Jimmy Wright is a liar. I was like, he is, he is a liar, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, and they're like, he's lying. I'm like, he's lying, he's trying to get you out. He's trying to deceive you. I was like, listen to me, right? It turns out he did, he did get bit. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I was an expert hider. One time, let me just say this one more, and then I'm done. <laughs> is um, one night I, I hit my mom had a, had this garden, her prized garden. She loved it, right? She plants all this other stuff, and I thought, oh, I have a perfect hiding spot. I'm gonna bury myself alive. I'm gonna bury myself, and they will never find me, right? This sounds so dark, right? I'm like, they will never find me, and uh, and so I got there, and for an entire almost 24 hours, it was like the entire night until dawn. I buried myself in the garden, and I just ate green beans off of a green bean stalk the whole night. Right? My parents were enraged, terrified, because they thought I was kidnapped or something. Um, but they know to this day, I'm awesome at hide-and-seek. Right? <laughs> right? Now, but here's the thing, right? So, so expert hide-and-seek player, but that changed when I became a dad. That changed when I had a little boy. Right? Like, uh, like it embarrasses me how, how my son thinks I am so bad at hide-and-seek. And if my identity wasn't in Jesus, I would be so like, like if I didn't want to be found by my son for the next 30 years, that sounds dark. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I could do it. But I could do it. <laughs> That's the point, right? <laughs> Cut the tapes. Cut the tapes. Can we just, yeah. Um, the, the point is the goal has changed, and I no longer want to be not found by my kid. 
And so I'm the worst hider, right? I heard Banning say this one time he came and preached in Oklahoma and he told the story. And I guess I, and I was so stirred by it because I was like, man, that is God. What an illustration of how God is. And so I'm the worst hider in the world now. We go, hey, let's play, right? And I'm just like, there's like a clear, like a clear plastic shower curtain that I just wrap myself in, right? And he's just like, I found you, you're horrible. I was like, I know. But there's like this moment of like joy. There's this moment of he's like, I found you, dad, I found you. I'm like, I know, son. I almost played a video of it. I, we didn't have time. So, but, but amazing, right? Moment where we find each other. This is what God wants. He wants you like that little kid to just be like, man, I want to find you with all of my heart. I want to pursue you and I want to seek you. Like this was David, right? Wasn't this King David? Like he was, he was in the wilderness. He's running for his life. And he recognized that intimacy with God was always first and foremost. That if I'm going to survive, if I'm going to thrive, if I'm going to flourish, then I have to make his knowing him priority. Psalm 63, he says, oh God, you're my God. And I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you and the whole, my whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water, right? Dehydrated. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live. I will lift my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast and I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake at night thinking of you. Because you are my helper, I will sing to you with joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, your strong right hand. It holds me securely. And here's what I love about David, is this isn't friendship talk. Derek Johnson and I are great friends and we've never had this conversation, <laughs> right? We've, I'm, not, I'm never like, hey, Derek, I was lying awake thinking about you the other night. <laughs> it's never happened, right? Maybe, one, maybe it will someday, I don't know. Um, this isn't friendship talk, this is intimacy talk. This is, this, is, this is spouse stuff. This is husband-wife stuff. He's like, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. What does it really mean to abide? The pursuit of your life, that Jesus has the, the, the authority and he has the permission to sit on the throne of your heart. That your deep desire is to connect to his heart and to follow him and to love him and to be close to him. I love what John Piper says. He says, the more deeply that you walk with Christ, the hungrier you will get for Christ. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deep and are deeply satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. God did not create you for this. My friends, listen, I, I, we're not, I feel like today, like as we're talking about some of this stuff, like I just feel like sometimes we get too busy for God. Busy is the enemy of intimacy. It's hard to be intimate with someone that you're too busy for and distracted with all these other things. And I'm telling you, it's not always that we have a sinful, polluted heart. Sometimes we just have a distracted, deluded heart. And we're just, we're stuffed with all the small stuff and the TikTok and social media and this and the cares of this life. It just crowds out the intimacy that we are called and we're sabotaging our own growth in the Lord because we've just gotten too busy. We don't hate God, but we just forget about him. And I, I feel just like this call this morning, just call you back to this place of intimacy. And some of you are living this and it's amazing. And you're like, yes, amen, this is what it's about. And it just stirs your own heart. And there's some of us that you feel, dis, you feel disconnected. You feel distant from God. And he's, he's saying, I want you to come and pursue me. I want you to come back to me. I, 
I want you to put me back on the throne of your heart and, and make me the aim and the target once again. And I'm telling you, I will, if you will look for me, you will find me. And when you find me, everything that, like the, the grace and the hope and the strength and the, all the things that you're looking for, you will find in my presence. I'll close in just a second here, but I also, I, it's pursuit, but it's also intimacy requires honesty. It requires honesty before the Lord. Matthew 6, 6 says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and as honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. He says, I want you to, I want you to get away. I, I want you to get away into a private, secluded, secret place so that you can be yourself because you are different when it's just you, right? Some of you, right, like we all, we kind of like, we all have like, we, we all have like etiquette. We know what it's like to come in here and, you know, being corporate, there's things that God reserves for the corporate setting. And then there's things I believe God reserves for the secret place. Ian Bounds says that God's men and women are made in secret. Your hearts are knit together. Your, your convictions are established. God speaks secrets to you. He reveals things about himself in secret. When you just get alone and you sit before him honestly and authentically, you say, God, I want to know you. Right, because like in a room like this, you might worship and get a little tear, right? You'll cry a little bit, but right, but you cry different when you're by yourself, right? Right? You're like, oh my God, and you're like, and then you hear a door open, you're like, who's there? Who's there? You know, <laughs> right? And you're like, who's there? You know, because you don't want anybody, you don't want anybody to see you. You don't want anybody to see you be you. Right? And I remember when I uh, in the 90s, right, when uh, the Titanic came out, and um, Anyone else just change your life? You know, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, right? Watch the edited version. And I remember Celine Dion's song, the heart of the, like the heart of the ocean, my heart will go on. How many of you have heard that song before? Yeah. Right? Wow. Okay, if I could do anything to change your life, listen to that song on the way to lunch today, right? I'm listening to that song. I love that song. I wept during that song. I took to my wife uh, to see her a couple years ago and I was crying in this stadium. Anyway, enough about that. When I was like 13 years old, I remember I'm sitting there and I, and I put this, the CD, my heart will go on, right? And I thought I was alone. I thought I was all by myself in the house. And, uh, and I put on that song and I'm going for it, right? I'm like screaming, I'm belting out, you know, you're here, you know, go, I'm not gonna do it now, right? Going for it, right? I don't sound like Derek Johnson. And I'm in it so much that I literally start twirling across my room like this. I'm like, you're, right? I'm going for it, pivoting perfectly, right? And I get to the door and my two older brothers are standing at the door. And they go, what are you doing? And I was like, right? I, my brothers felt a mandate from God to be like, this stops here. <laughs> you know, like, like, uh, you know, it wasn't from God. They said things I can't repeat. But, but the point is this, right? Is that you're different when you're, when you're by yourself. You're more honest when you're by yourself. And God says, I don't want you to role play. Let's be honest. You feel tempted in a room like this to be like, I got it together. I'm doing my stuff. And, and not all no, is bad. But he's like, I want the you. I want the inner you. I want the honest you. And I want you to get before me. And I want to say some things to you. And I want to hear your heart. I want to listen to you pour your heart out before me. And I just want to get, and, and I'm telling you, that's how you abide in my presence. And out of that place, you will overflow with fruitfulness. The convictions to walk with Jesus, the grace to walk with Jesus, the mercy, the compassion, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is a beautiful gift to walk with Jesus. I'm telling you, man, this, this will flow out of you like a root system causes a branch to produce fruit, Jesus will cause you as a disciple to produce godliness. And last but not least, he says this, is that intimacy requires commitment. Can we just stand together? And thanks for your patience. I told our team, I said, man, I'm really bad at short sermons. I got to figure that out. Um, 
But intimacy requires commitment. John 15, nine, he says, I loved you even as the fathers loved me, so abide in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you abide in my love. Just as I obey my father and abide in his love. And he says, this is my commandment. Love each other. Love each other. When, when the Lord encounters you with his love, he awakens something on the inside of you, right? That when I, when I encounter the revelation of how loved I am in Jesus, it awakens my love for him and causes me now to want to commit my life to walk after him, right? When Jesus says, if you'll love me, you'll do what I say. He's not giving this ultimatum of like, you, you're going to work for this thing. You're going to do it because I said so. He's saying, oh, no, 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 I gave my very best and I loved you and I, I woke up love in your heart. And now when you respond with love, he said, man, you just have this deep desire now to commit to him forever. Can I just end with this one thought? I was uh, in, in April 26, 2008, I had an encounter with Jesus in a prayer meeting of five people that wrecked me forever. Previous to that, I was, uh, I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic for a long time. I was messed up. I was broken. I was visionless. I was lustful. I was fearful. Oh man, in every way I was hitting dead ends in my life at 24 years old. And in March of 2008, I overdosed and I was sitting in a, it was laying in a crack house and just in a really bad messed up situation. My sister, my little sister had been reaching out to me and telling me about Jesus. And I was like, stop it. I don't want Jesus stuff. I don't want this like church stuff and whatever. And, you know, I had all these lies in my head around all that kind of stuff. And, and I was broken and I was a mess. And I remember I was like, all right. She was living in Tulsa at the time. So I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania, the electric city. And, uh, and I went down and, uh, and I was in this prayer meeting. And I remember my sister, she was on her knees and she was just worshiping before the Lord. And she's my, my little sister. And we had kind of lost touch because my parents had separated and she kind of left with my mom and I you know, went with my dad. And, and I found in this moment, like she had her own things that she was working through, right? She, she had some self-hatred things. She cut herself, different things. And I remember like when I had seen her last, she was pretty broken, like just like me. I wasn't judging her, but she was broken. And all of a sudden I'm sitting in this living room and I see this girl on her knees before the Lord and she's just weeping. And I just sense like, man, like God is all over her. And I just couldn't deny it. Like I had this before and after picture in my mind of like broken, put back together, broken, restored. Like, like without life, full of life, overflowing, abiding, abundant. And I was like, wow. And I remember looking at her and I said, oh God, if you, and I just had this feeling, if you did it for her, you could do this for me. If you did it for her, you could do this for me. And I just bowed my head, I closed my eyes. I was still going through withdrawals. I was like, all this stuff. And I said, Lord, I said, if you still love me, and if you still want me, I will serve you. And I encountered this beautiful, tangible love of Jesus. I, it's hard to even describe today. I, I encountered God in such a real way. And it was this love. I, there was, it was this prodigal son moment where I was like, I came to my senses and I was like, God, I'll just serve you. I'll kind of just be this employee. I'll do whatever you want. And he was like, no, 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 come here, boy. And he treated me like a son and his love, it changed me. It woke me up to his love. And I fell in love with Jesus, not because he said, you do what I say. You, if you're gonna commit to me, it was like, no, I encountered his love. It woke me up to his love. And I just said, all right, I'll follow you for the rest of my life. This is what he's talking about. That intimacy requires this commitment. It says, I'm awakened by that love. Now I pursue with that love. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message of the week. Hungry for more? Search Jesus Culture on your podcast platforms to check out more from our Jesus Culture podcast network.